Welcome to Sermons from Holy Trinity. Holy Trinity Lutheran Church is committed to the preaching of Jesus Christ crucified and risen for the justification of the sinner by grace through faith for Jesus' sake. And now a sermon from Pastor William Swirla of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church. In the name of Jesus, who is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Miracles come in various shapes and sizes. Some are small and isolated. Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. Some are fun and almost frivolous. Jesus making a hundred gallons of wine at a wedding run dry. This one today is didactic and large of titanic proportions, you might say. Jesus calms a storm on the Sea of Galilee with two little imperatives from his lips, and the wind and waves obey him. After a day of parable speaking, the disciples load Jesus into one of their boats. At least four of them were fishermen, after all, so they had boats, to go across the Sea of Galilee to the other side, presumably to get away from the crowds. They put Jesus in the boat just as he was, it says, which is a rather odd way of putting it. Just as he was, perhaps suggesting that he was tired, near exhaustion, with heavy eyes and dragging feet, which would explain why he fell asleep so easily on the trip. Other boats went with them too, indicating that this miracle had plenty of eyewitnesses who could later corroborate the story with their, yes, I was there too. A great storm arose. That wasn't surprising given the mountains that surround the Sea of Galilee and its penchant for sudden evening storms. The boat was little and full of people. The waves were tall with wind chop beating against the side of the boat and filling it with water. If you've ever been on a small boat in a storm, you know that feeling of smallness and insignificance as you bob up and down on the water without a frame of reference and no land in sight. Darkness makes the whole thing even worse. It's all hands on deck time and everyone starts bailing water from the boat as the wind and the waves continue to toss it around. And where's Jesus in all this commotion? Well, he's sleeping in the back of the boat with his head propped up on a pillow. That's right, sleeping. You would think that the Lord of creation would have a bit more situational awareness than this, wouldn't you? Let's savor a few details for the moment. Jesus is in the back of the boat where the rudder that controls the boat is. He's sleeping on what is called in Greek the proskephalion, which might very well be the captain's cushion, the place where the captain of the boat sat to guide the rudder. So not only is Jesus asleep, he's getting in the way of controlling the boat, uh, sleeping in the place where the captain is supposed to sit. And if you stretch your imagination just a bit more, perhaps you might see Jesus with one arm draped over the rudder as the boat bounces around the waves. This brings a whole new image to to the phrase, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. Now, if I'm writing stories to concoct some kind of a Jesus myth so later people would be impressed with him, I wouldn't write a story quite like the way Mark has. 
I would not include other boats and other people who could verify this story and potentially contradict it. I would make the disciples more manly, more heroic, standing strong against the wind and the waves. They were, after all, at least some of them, fishermen. What kind of men are these, anyway? And I would put Jesus in the front of the boat, large and shining in the darkness, maybe with a staff in his hand, extending out over the wind and the waves like Moses before the parted Red Sea. And maybe I'd have a few lightning bolts coming out of his staff just for kind of a special effect. Uh, But I would not have a bunch of cowardly disciples in a boat with a sleeping Jesus who is apparently oblivious to the danger. But then I'm not the evangelist and I'm not writing the story. Well, of course, a sleeping Jesus is about as useful as a missing or even a dead Jesus. He's dead weight on a sinking ship. So the disciples do the natural thing and they wake him up. Wouldn't you? (laughs) Of course you would. We need all hands on deck, and I know it's been a long, hard day of teaching in parables and all that, but if you don't wake up, Jesus, this boat is going down faster than the Titanic. Teacher, don't you care if we perish? There's the big question lurking in the middle of this miracle, like a dark, ominous cloud of doubt. Don't you care if we perish? Or are you just going to sleep through this whole thing? The whole thing turns out to be a big object lesson in trust, which is what makes it a teaching miracle, a didactic miracle. If you've ever taught anyone, you know that there are a variety of ways to accomplish the teaching task. You can lecture. You can offer up little puzzling thoughts like parables. Or you can create those wonderful teachable moments, experiences that drive the point home so the learners never forget it. This is definitely a teachable moment. Darkness, wind, waves, sinking boat, sleeping Jesus. What do they believe about Jesus? And do they trust him? And do we trust him? Question is still asked. Do we trust him when our little boat is being buffeted around and our lives appear to be in peril and we're bailing with all of our might, but the water is coming in faster than our buckets can toss it overboard? Our arms are aching, our hearts are pounding with panic, and dear sweet Jesus is nowhere to be seen. He may as well be asleep at the right hand of God for all we know. We don't know. Do you trust the Jesus who sleeps through the storm and who seems comfortable amidst the chaos? Do you trust the Jesus who leaves you with nothing more than a sprinkle of baptism, a word of forgiveness, and a bit of bread and wine along with a promise? Or do you want more? Do you want to wake him up? And put him to work for you. Do you trust that this sleeping Jesus on the cross is sufficient to cover you on the day of judgment? That in the silence of his death, the chaos of sin is ordered, the storm is calmed, the judgment is averted? I did a little bit of flying this past week, which is why I wasn't here last Sunday. First up to Palo Alto to speak at a campus ministry conference, and then off to Chicago for the funeral of a high school friend who died suddenly in her sleep a couple of Sunday mornings ago. Teach us to number our days. The approach into Chicago 
was one of those bumpy rides where the air over Chicago resembled the potholes of the streets below. And if you have ever flown into Chicago's Midway Airport, you've experienced the kind of landings that are more like setting down on the USS Midway rather than any decent-sized airport. Our landing was one of those side-to-side kind of rumbas that leave you wondering whether you will deplane at the gate or in the rental car parking lot. I happened to be reading a book on the flight by outspoken atheist Sam Harris in which he pleads for Christians to kindly give up their dangerous and irrational beliefs all in the interest of world peace and love. And I began to wonder as the plane flopped around the sky whether this was really a wise choice of reading material. Perhaps the in-flight magazine or a Sudoku puzzle might have been more spiritually edifying and uplifting than the marginally coherent ramblings of a man who hates religion. I wondered how someone who doesn't believe there is a God, much less a savior, approaches a bumpy flight. Does he have a moment of inner panic and wonder, what if I'm wrong about this God thing after all? Does the atheist say a quick prayer kind of the way a non-gambler plays a stray quarter in a slot machine? I found myself wondering whether Jesus would safely pilot us to our destination, or would he just maybe shake things up a bit to teach us all some sort of lesson, or maybe just let us drop out of the sky like that flight from Brazil that crashed into the Atlantic, killing everybody aboard? I'm sure there were a few praying believers on that flight as well. Hmm. Job and his friends wondered about these things too. As Job sat in sackcloth and ashes, scraping the sores from his body and contemplating the loss of his family, his property, and almost literally everything he had except for a wife who told him to curse God and die. His three friends weren't much help, tormenting him with a theology of glory that sounded an awful lot like what you hear on television and went something like this, get right with God and God will get right with you. That's quite a thing to say to somebody in his suffering. Finally, God has enough of this noise and he intrudes in a whirlwind, which we hear the beginnings of in that reading from Job, And he asks a bunch of rhetorical questions like, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And were you around when I shut in the sea and I set its boundaries? And then he offers no concrete explanation for anything except to say in so many words, I'm God, you're not God, and that's good. So whether it's a sinking ship or a bouncing airplane or a life thrown into chaos by a stray cancer cell or a bad economy, there are those moments where all you can do is trust the one who died on a cross and rose from the dead, which is all that the disciples could do at the moment they woke Jesus up from his sleep with their Lord, don't you care question. And the answer to the question, Lord, don't you care, is spoken from the cross where Jesus indeed says, yes, I do care, and it is finished. And so the disciples would learn to trust Jesus in the sleep of his death and in their own death. Jesus awakes and he rebukes the wind and the sea the way someone says, 
be quiet to a barking dog. Two little words in the wind and the waves, obey him. I would add in passing, just as a parenthetical thought, that no laws of nature were violated or broken in the performance of this miracle. Gravity still held things down quite nicely, and buoyancy still kept the boat afloat on the water. Storms quiet down all the time, sometimes rather suddenly and for no good reason, and we don't immediately cry out, it's a miracle. What is miraculous about this event is that storms don't ordinarily cease by someone talking at them like some storm whisperer. But when the foundations, but, but when the one who is speaking is the one who laid the foundations of the world, the one who was there in the beginning, the one who tamed the chaotic waters, the one who separated sea and dry land, when he is the one that speaks, all it takes is a couple of words to straighten everything out again. He is the Lord of creation, and the wind and the waves have no choice but to obey their maker. Jesus has a question for his much-relieved and soggy disciples, too. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? In other words, don't you trust me? That rings in our ears, too, in our moments of doubt and disbelief. Why are you so afraid? Why was I so nervous on that bumpy airplane ride? Don't you believe, didn't I? And the honest answer, and the only thing we can do is give an honest answer, is, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. The storm is quieted and their fears redirected. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now, there's a good question. They don't fear the storm anymore, or the waves, or the water, or their own death. Now they fear Jesus, the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and trust. Calming storms is child's play for the creator. Jesus can literally do it in his sleep. Conquering death takes another kind of sleep, the sleep of death on a cross. And having awakened from that sleep, Jesus says to his disciples and to each of you this morning, do not fear. Peace be with you. Your sins are forgiven. Your death is covered. When the wind blows and the waves crash and your boat goes down, remember, I've already gone down into death for you, and you've already gone down with me in the water of your baptism. You are perfectly safe in my death. Do not fear. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to Sermons from Holy Trinity. Services at Holy Trinity are Sundays at 9 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Holy Trinity Lutheran Church is located at 15710 Newton Street in Hacienda Heights, California, and on the web at www.htlcms.org.